Okay, so uh, we'll continue our study. Uh, we took a break uh, after doing the book of James. So today we'll start with the book of First uh, Thessalonians, and it's a short book. There are five chapters uh, in First Thessalonians, and the second book has a uh, second part has three chapters. So there are a total of eight chapters. And many of us are familiar with the Thessalonica church because when we did the book of Acts, uh, that was Paul's uh, part of Paul's missionary journey. And in this letter, he's writing back to the same church uh, that he established uh, in the book of Acts. And even though he's writing a personal letter to them, uh, as we go through these chapters, we would see that uh, they also apply to us uh, for our spiritual growth and for our edification. So that is our purpose, uh, to understand what Paul is writing and to also see how it uh, applies to us. So we can break this chapter into four parts. So we'll do the first three verses, uh, which is more like an introduction. And also Paul uh, recognizes, uh, gives a reason for thanks. And he touches upon the election of God. So we'll uh, see what that means. Then he talks about the gospel work from verse five through verse 10. Uh, in terms of uh, what are the what makes the gospel work effective and what impact it has on those who hear it and also receive it. So we've heard about the gospel several times uh, in the book of Acts. And here uh, kind of Paul gives a nice uh, summary of what makes the work uh, effective and what is the impact on the hearers. So we'll start with a brief uh, introduction, then get into the chapter. So we know that this book uh, is written by Paul, uh, but we see in verse one that <clears throat> he also gives credit to uh, Timothy and Silas. And uh, from the book of Acts, we know that all three of them were present uh, in Corinth. So since Paul is writing this letter from Corinth, uh, it's possible that uh, it is also inspired in some ways by, uh, by the discussion that he might have had uh, with Timothy and Silas, so he is also giving uh, credit to them. And of course, uh, uh, it's written from Corinth, which is uh, about a year uh, after he planted the church. And since Paul is writing to them, uh, it shows uh, his concern for believers. So he's not simply interested in uh, planting churches, but uh, as we see in many of the epistles, uh, he goes back uh, with concern about what's happening in those churches, and he wants to correct uh, if there is any mistake uh, in those churches, so that all of these churches will continue to grow, and they would be good examples and good testimonies uh, in the days to come. So there are three uh, themes that we would see in these uh, eight chapters. Uh, we see that the Thessalonica church uh, is actually doing pretty good. But Paul is uh, exhorting them to do even better in all areas of their spiritual life. And they're also facing uh, persecution, as we saw in the book of Acts. And Paul is uh, encouraging them to uh, uh, hold on to their faith and be joyful uh, during times of persecution. And many of us uh, recognize the book of uh, Thessalonians. Uh, we often read the passage uh, about the return of Christ and the hope. Uh, that every believer has. So that is found in the book of Thessalonians. Uh, so we'll get to that. So maybe uh, someone can read uh, verse one, two, and three. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, 
to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace and peace to you we always thank god for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers we remember before our god and father your work produced by faith your labor promoted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our lord jesus christ yeah okay so from verse 1 it's clear that paul is writing this uh, letter to the church in uh, thessalonica and he is writing to the believers there and uh, he's addressing them and we'll talk about that so we know that it was part of paul's uh, second missionary journey uh, when we did the book of acts and paul was uh, preaching there and it was also quite uh, effective but at the same time he also faced a lot of opposition so even though the work was going well uh, at one point uh, he had to simply run away uh, from that place uh, in the middle of the night and that's what Uh, and he fl- uh, went to Berea from there, and he went to Berea, and there also he did the same uh, work. He preached the gospel, and people received him. But at the same time, the same uh, Jewish people uh, they chased him out of Berea, and from there uh, Paul left for Athens. So we know all of this, and if you want, you can go back and read. And after that, Paul went to Corinth, where he stayed for eighteen months. and that is where he's writing this letter from uh to the uh to the church and he himself is not able to go at this point but later on uh he is able to visit uh the church in Thessalonica so paul was probably there for about a few months and and we see that despite the persecution that the church was facing uh the church continued to grow uh in a healthy way and paul uh, commends them for their good works and spiritual progress uh, but at the same time uh, he exhorts them to uh, continue to grow continue to mature uh, towards perfection and to be a model church and to be model believers so that is a lesson for us uh, we might be doing good uh, in our spiritual life but there is uh, never a point uh, where we can say that we have achieved or we have reached our destination uh we need to be continually growing uh in the ways of the lord we need to be continually uh maturing uh in our spiritual life so we should never uh reach a point of stagnation we should never reach a point of being passive and we should never reach a point where we are proud and say that we know everything that is to be known so paul is uh, reminding them that even though they are doing well uh there there is still room for growth uh in their spiritual life so we are introduced to two uh co-workers of paul uh silas and uh timothy and both of them uh we have studied uh in the book of acts and silas uh he accompanied paul during a second uh missionary journey and we know that paul was uh working with barnabas and at some point uh they had a conflict uh in terms of john mark uh whether he should join them or not join them and at that point paul paul and barnabas split and paul uh chose silas to accompany him in the second missionary journey and silas was also with paul at philippi where they were put in prison and miraculously they were we know that the prison doors were opened and the jailer mm-hmm. and his family they were also saved and he also joined paul in thessalonica 
And we are also introduced to uh, Timothy, and Timothy is again uh, part of the second uh, missionary journey. And we know that Timothy had a mixed uh, background. Uh, his uh, mother uh, was Jewish and his father was Greek and his grandmother was uh, Christian. And we also know that Timothy was uh, treated by Paul like his son. So he was mentored by Paul and that is how Timothy continued to grow uh, in the Lord. So Paul continued to mentor uh, the churches that he established but at the same time, he had a small group of co-workers uh, with whom he worked uh, closely. And we are introduced to two of them uh, in this chapter, which is uh, Timothy and uh, Silas. Okay, so, so we often see that Paul uh, preached uh, Christ. And when we say that Paul preached Christ, uh, he preached the gospel uh, in terms of Christ uh, coming into this world, born of a virgin, uh, being crucified, uh, being buried, and being raised again uh, the third day, and that Christ is uh, going to come back. So when he was talking to the Jews, he was always uh, emphasizing about Christ, uh, because uh, that was the point of contention uh, with the Jewish people, uh, because they were still uh, waiting for the Messiah, and they were not ready to accept uh, Lord Jesus Christ, uh, as the Messiah had already come. But when we look at the scriptures, uh, we see that uh, Jesus uh, is prophesied as Christ, and Jesus himself uh, claimed to be Christ, and many of the disciples uh, also recognized uh, Jesus as Christ. So we know that many uh, Jewish people, uh, they are still waiting for Messiah, and they don't uh, accept uh, Lord Jesus Christ, uh, as the anointed one, or as the one who came to redeem mankind. But that is a message uh, that we need to preach uh, all the time. Uh, and, and Paul, in the book of Acts, as we saw, uh, no matter what the message was, it always came back to the gospel, which is that Lord Jesus Christ came, uh, he was crucified, buried, and he rose again. And because of that, we have the gift of salvation. And because of that, we have the hope that he is going to come back. And this is, uh, so in verse one, we see that Paul says uh, grace and peace. And that's a common uh, greeting that we see when Paul uh, opens the letter. And uh, so it is God's grace uh, that leads to peace. So we cannot have one uh, without the other. Uh, unless Lord Jesus Christ came and died on the cross uh, for our sins, uh, we won't be able to enjoy peace uh, with God and with man. So we see that uh, oftentimes Paul opens uh, his letters uh, with that greeting, which is grace uh, and peace. And some people see it as uh, grace uh, applies uh, more to Gentiles. They can relate to that language. Uh, it is because of God's grace that Gentiles were made part of the chosen generation. And peace uh, is a word that Jewish people can relate to, which is shalom. Uh, so he's able to uh, relate to both the groups uh, by using this greeting. But the bigger meaning is, of course, that without grace, uh, we cannot have peace uh, with God or with man. So that is why gospel is, is very important uh, in our life. And if we don't have peace uh, in our life, uh, the reason is that uh, we don't have Lord Jesus Christ uh, in our life. So unless we have Christ uh, in our life, 
uh, we cannot have peace with God. We cannot have peace uh, within ourselves. And we cannot have peace uh, with others. So when we look at Paul's uh, ministry, uh, we saw that he is always uh, preaching Christ. And as he's preaching Christ, uh, many people are getting saved and they are being added uh, to the congregation. And that leads to churches uh, being planted. So we see that his work uh, progresses uh, in a very uh, distinct way, uh, which is common, that first he goes to a city and he'll start preaching the word. And he starts preaching the word, people are saved and people are added to the church. And he's able to establish local churches or local congregations. But we see that uh, he never uh, forgets about them. And that is why we have so many letters uh, written by Paul. Uh, he's continuously praying for the churches and he's also checking on them to see uh, how they are doing. So this is a good way for us uh, also as we continue the Lord's work. Uh, we always have to start with the point where we are preaching Christ uh, to those who are lost and we are trying to bring them into the church. And once the church is uh, set up, we continue to pray uh, with burden for them and we continue to check on them. So this could be in our relationship with one person that we save, or it could be in relation to the entire church that we are able to establish uh, through the work of the gospel. But at the end, uh, God should always uh, get the glory. Uh, it is not Paul who's doing the work, uh, but it is the Lord who uh, establishes uh, churches. So in 1 Corinthians 3.6, we see, I have planted where Paul is writing. So Paul is planting, uh, Apollos is watering, but it is God who gives the increase. And we see the same uh, principle in Acts chapter 2 where it is the Lord who is adding to the church. So we might be working in the vineyard. Uh, we might be laboring for the Lord. Uh, we might be preaching the gospel, but it is always the Lord's work uh, by which the churches are established and by which uh, people continue to grow uh, in the Lord. So, so he gives uh, three reasons uh, for thanks. Uh, in verse two, it says uh, he is always uh, thanking God uh, for them. So it's not just uh, a one-time burden or one-time mention that he has, but uh, obviously he's closely connected to the church. And he says uh, he is always uh, making mention of them uh, in his prayers. And he's uh, mentioning three things here, uh, the work uh, of faith, uh, the labor of love, and the patience uh, of hope. So the work of faith uh, could be seen as the fruit of faith. Uh, once we are saved, uh, it's, it should show up in the good works, uh, as we see in the book of James. And the labor of love, which is uh, any service uh, to the Lord uh, that is prompted uh, by love. So the motivation is always love uh, for the Lord, which... Uh, which uh, prompts us to do uh, things for him. And the third thing uh, he gives thanks is the patience of hope, uh, which is uh, looking forward to the return of Christ and not losing uh, hope or not losing patience uh, because the Lord is not coming uh, soon enough. Uh, believers, uh, they continue to have that hope uh, till the very end. Uh, they know that the Lord is uh, going to return at some point. 
And that is what gives us hope. And in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13, we see that now abideth faith, hope, and love. And so Paul is kind of building on those, those three phrases here, uh, calling it the work of faith, uh, the labor of love, and patience of hope. So we need to ask ourselves uh, whether those three things uh, are present uh, even in our life. Uh, if you are born again, uh, is it reflected in the good works uh, that we do? Uh, if you are born again, is it reflected in the labor that we do for the Lord, uh, which is prompted uh, by the love that we have for the Lord and not by wanting to get attention or not wanting to get uh, applause from people or recognition from people, but it is simply prompted by love that we have uh, for the Lord. And thirdly, uh, do we also excitedly look forward uh, to the second uh, coming of the Lord or the return of Christ? So this is what we just mentioned, that uh, uh, what uh, really motivates our ministry uh, or what is it that really motivates uh, our labor? So many people might see us uh, laboring for the Lord uh, in different ways. Uh, it could be in a church setting or it could be in the community or it could be in terms of charitable works uh, that we do. Uh, but the Lord is always uh, looking at our heart to see uh, what is it that is motivating our ministry. Is it love for God or love for people or both? And do we love our ministry uh, more than we love God or his people? And this is a question I remember uh, Brother Paul Sadakar had mentioned uh, during one of his messages. Uh, he said that uh, many times uh, we see people working uh, in the ministry and oftentimes uh, they love the ministry uh, more than they love God or his people. So oftentimes the ministry becomes uh, like a profession or you enjoy the ministry so much. Uh, it, could be, it could be our preaching, it could be our music, uh, it could be outreach, whatever it is. Uh, we might get so excited by that ministry but it has nothing to do uh, with our love for God or for love for people. So it's nothing, no different than uh, going on a vacation because we enjoy vacations. But uh, our ministry should always be prompted uh, by the love that we have for God and his people. So we are not doing it for ourselves or for our selfish uh, motives. Uh, it should always be inspired by the love that we have for God. And that is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. Uh, the love of Christ uh, compels us. And in verse 4, uh, it says, Knowing, brethren, uh, greatly beloved, uh, your election of God. And election is a word that we see uh, many times uh, in the scripture. Uh, it simply means uh, God has chosen us, or election is just like we are having uh, midterm elections that we will be having now where people would exercise their vote uh, to choose uh, certain people. Uh, in the same way, uh, election in the scripture uh, refers to God choosing his people uh, who would be his children. And uh, Ephesians says uh, he chose us uh, before the foundation of the world. And so we don't choose the Lord. Uh, it is the Lord who chooses us. And he puts uh, situations in our life, or he brings us uh, uh, in, 
in contact with the word of God, which uh, draws us uh, to him. In the same way, the people of Israel, uh, they were also chosen by the Lord uh, as a special people. So to be elected by the Lord is uh, obviously a great uh, privilege, and it is a great blessing, and it shows that God's favor is on our life, uh, even before we were born. And during our lifetime, uh, the Lord will uh, create uh, situations, uh, circumstances, and he will uh, eventually draw us uh, into his kingdom. So, so no man can come to me uh, except the Father which has sent me uh, draws him. So the work is done by the Lord uh, in terms of drawing us uh, into his kingdom, and we simply exercise faith and exercise uh, obedience. If not, uh, maybe someone can read uh, 5 through 10. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators for us and of the yeah, Lord. Brother, yeah, brother, maybe we'll stop there. So in verse 5, uh, it talks about the gospel. Uh, what are the three things that stand out there in verse 5? What are three words or three uh, attributes, you may say, that stand out uh, in the context of the gospel? Word. Word, yes. Power. Holy Power. Spirit. Holy Spirit. And, Holy Spirit. Yeah. Power and Holy Spirit could be uh, together, I would think, or anything else. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Assurance. Assurance or conviction, right? As Brother said in NIV, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so those are the three things. We'll get to that, yeah. Yeah, brother, you can continue, six through 10. Yeah. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcome the message in the midst of the severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you, become, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith is... Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Yeah, this is a short passage, but uh, I find it to be very uh, beautiful. Uh, it speaks about uh, what makes the gospel effective. And we also see the fruit uh, of the gospel, or we see the impact of the gospel uh, in terms of some of the changes uh, that we see uh, in the work uh, that was done uh, among the believers there. So as we already said, uh, we, uh, we saw four things here. Uh, we saw the word, we saw the assurance or conviction, or the power uh, which uh, tends to go. Uh, with the Holy Spirit. So we see that as Paul is doing his work, uh, as we said, uh, he always begins uh, by preaching Christ. And in our context, uh, it would be uh, receiving the word or hearing God's word or simply reading the Bible. Uh, that's when the work starts. And the word is uh, received uh, in our heart and the conviction is brought uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So simply by reading uh, God's word, uh, we won't be convicted or we won't be changed. Uh, it is the power of the Holy Spirit uh, that brings that conviction uh, or that brings the heart of repentance 
so that we take the next step, which is to confess uh, our sins. And we also have the assurance uh, that our sins are forgiven. So I see that all of these are important uh, for the gospel to be effective in our life. Uh, we not only have to uh, uh, hear or to read the word, so we might be hearing uh, good messages and we may walk away from a church uh, saying that uh, he was a great speaker or he was very clear uh, in his preaching, but that by itself is not enough. Uh, that preaching should also lead to conviction of our sins, uh, which is what we see in the book of Acts when Peter preached the word. Uh, they were pricked uh, in their hearts and that led to a changed uh, life. And at the same time, when we are praying uh, the sinner's prayer or when we are confessing our sins, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, gives us the assurance uh, that our sins are forgiven. But we also see that uh, while the gospel is working, uh, simultaneously uh, Satan is also working. And the way he works is that uh, he would always uh, put doubts uh, in our heart uh, about the assurance. So you may, you may have already prayed the sinner's prayer, uh, but Satan will keep uh, bringing doubts uh, in our heart uh, about that assurance. But we can be confident that once the assurance is given in our heart uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, we don't have to worry about these uh, false accusations or the doubts uh, that Satan uh, puts in our heart. So we see these three things, uh, the word, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the assurance in our heart. And we see that also in Romans, that faith uh, cometh by hearing and hearing uh, by the word of God. So we are truly blessed uh, that we have a Bible in our hand or the Bible has been given to us or we are able to hear the word of God on the internet, TV, and so on. And uh, John 16, 8, it says, when the Holy Spirit comes, uh, it will reprove the world of sin. And in the same way, in our personal life, uh, it will bring conviction uh, of our sins. And in 2 Timothy, it says, uh, speaks about the assurance uh, where Timothy is writing, uh, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep uh, that which I have committed unto him uh, against uh, that day. So uh, we need to have that assurance uh, when we are born again, uh, that we are truly born again, and the Lord will uh, keep us, uh, he will sustain us uh, till the end, uh, till the day he returns, or till uh, we are called to glory ourselves. Uh, we should have the assurance uh, that our sins are forgiven and we are safe uh, in a sense. And in the next uh, several verses, uh, we see the impact uh, of the gospel. Uh, so we know from the church in Thessalonica that uh, they were facing uh, persecution from the Jewish people. Uh, but despite that, the work uh, continued to grow. And the believers, uh, they were strengthened uh, in their faith. Uh, and they remained uh, joyful. So that is what we saw in the book of James also, that we are able to uh, enjoy peace. And we are able to enjoy joy, uh, even in the midst of trials, uh, because uh, of the Lord's work uh, in our life. So people in this world, uh, if they are going through afflictions, if they're going to challenges, uh, they would lose their joy, they would lose their peace. Uh, but as God's children, uh, once we are born again, 
no matter what uh, circumstances we face uh, in our life, uh, we can continue to maintain our peace and our joy uh, because it is the Lord who gives us the peace and the joy uh, that passeth all understanding. And the second uh, evidence that we see that the gospel had its work is that they became uh, followers uh, of the Lord. And here it says also of Paul, and we'll come to that. Uh, but the important thing is they became uh, followers or they became uh, disciples uh, of the Lord. And they were also a good example to everyone. Uh, and their testimony spread uh, far and wide. So it's very important that uh, once we are born again, uh, that we should maintain uh, a good testimony. Uh, we should maintain a life uh, that is separated from the world. Uh, we should maintain a life that is surrendered uh, to God's ways and to his uh, word. So people should be able to look at us and say that uh, we are different uh, from the world and the believers uh, should be able to look at our lives and say that uh, he or she has a blameless uh, testimony. And we'll get to verse nine and 10, but we see that their life uh, was uh, transformed and they had the assurance that they were saved uh, from the wrath or the judgment uh, that is to come. So we know that a day would come uh, when, when the Lord is going to unleash uh, his wrath and his judgment uh, upon Satan and all of his followers. Uh, but if you're truly born again, uh, if you have received the gospel work, as we saw in verse 5, uh, there is no reason uh, for us to fear uh, the wrath that is to come. So the question for us, obviously, is uh, how the gospel has impacted our life. Uh, are we also joyful uh, when we go through afflictions and challenges? Uh, can we truly say that we are disciples uh, of the Lord? Uh, he's not only my savior, but he's also my Lord and master. He's always uh, number one uh, in my life. And thirdly, are we good uh, citizens? Are we good examples uh, with a blameless uh, testimony? And is our life uh, truly transformed? And in a couple of places, uh, Paul says, uh, be followers of me uh, in Philippians and also in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Is that a good statement to make? Should the pastor of the church or elders say that be followers of me? I think in the entire Bible, only Paul told like that. Yes. So I guess if you're Paul, you can make that statement, right? But, uh, but not uh, very few people have the standard that Paul had. And Paul said, be followers of me, because he was confident that uh, he was following Christ uh, very closely. So he could take on that uh, challenge of challenging others uh, to be like him. But most people should not uh, make that statement. So a pastor of a church uh, should not say that be followers of me, uh, because uh, more than likely they haven't reached uh, that standard of maturity. Uh, it's better to simply say, uh, follow the Lord. Uh, don't follow me, just follow the Lord, follow the teachings of the Bible. And we are here to simply guide you, shepherd you, and to exhort you in different ways. So this could be a dangerous thing uh, if the leaders of churches, uh, if they ask everyone to follow them, then people will tend to worship the leaders uh, more than they worship the Lord himself. 
And in verse uh, nine and 10 uh, is again a great uh, summary of changes uh, that take place uh, when someone uh, receives the gospel message. Uh, we see that uh, they turn to God uh, from idols. So this speaks about the experience uh, that we had in the past. Uh, there was a time when we were sinners, we were walking in darkness, and we were blinded uh, by the things of this world. Uh, but uh, we have turned from those idols, or we have turned from those things of this world uh, to God. And that was the experience of the church there. And once they have turned, uh, we see that there is a calling to serve God. So once we are born again and once we are saved, uh, we see that in the life of Paul, that he's given a new mission uh, to serve God uh, in the same way all of us uh, are called to serve God uh, once we are born again. So that is something that will continue uh, throughout our lifetime. Uh, we will continue to serve the Lord uh, in whatever way he asks us to serve. And finally, uh, we wait for his return, uh, which is the future, uh, which can be seen as the patience of hope. So Paul talked about three things that he liked about the Thessalonica church, uh, the work of faith, uh, which is the salvation experience, uh, the labor of love, which we can say is service uh, for the kingdom of God, and the patience of hope, uh, which is the assurance that the Lord is going to return uh, at some point. So the final question for us is that, has our life been uh, transformed by the gospel? So before it can be transformed, uh, obviously we need to receive the gospel news. And once we have received the gospel news, uh, it should start to change our life. And if that is not happening, then maybe something is not right. Maybe there was not a true uh, conviction or there was a, not a true repentance uh, in our heart. Or maybe uh, we received the wrong gospel or adulterated gospel, uh, which, which does not do anything. 